Most Americans no longer pay much attention to factories. They assume there aren't that many still in operation in the United States, not in a country where people are more likely to see empty boarded up buildings that once were engines of manufacturing. Nor is there much awareness of the ingenious ways in which factories function. True, we lament outsourcing and are uneasy about the country's huge trade deficit. We are troubled that so much of what we purchase and need is made overseas. But we are less and less troubled as the years pass. We even import, without acknowledging the irony, most of the machines that are installed in the factories we have. Machines that stamp a sheet of steel into an auto fender, for example, or bore cylinder holes into iron or aluminum alloy engine blocks. Take away the imported machinery, and most of our factories would resemble nearly empty, cavernous warehouses. Or leave the imported machinery in place, but take away the imported parts that go into so many products made in our factories, and those products would become unusable. Auto dashboards, for example, might still be labeled Made in America, but absent imported components, many would come off assembly lines grossly disfigured, with round, empty holes into which foreign-made gauges were previously implanted. In terms of factory output, no nation in the world other than China produces more than the United States. Standard government statistics are clear on this point, although they are also misleading. Within manufacturing, a relatively small sector, the production of computers, electronics, and related products, accounts for most of the output growth. In addition, the manufacturing base in the United States, that is, the number of companies operating factories in the country, is narrow. If the U.S.-based multinationals, the GEs, the GMs, the IBMs, the Dow Chemicals, were to shut their American plants and transfer production to their numerous factories overseas, exporting back to the United States what they now make here, we would cease to be a manufacturing nation of consequence. Fully two-thirds of what is manufactured in the United States is produced by the U.S.-based factories of American-owned multinationals. Of course, in this fantasy scenario, thousands of small manufacturers would continue to operate in this country, but many of them make the parts that go into what the multinationals produce in their U.S. factories. Without the latter, the ranks of the smaller fry would be diminished. If we look back, to the 1950s and 1960s, we see an era in which U.S. domestic manufacturers, large and small, made nearly all of the finished products that Americans purchased, as well as the component parts and materials used to make those products, and most of the machinery used to fashion the parts and materials into those finished products. Yet, even this golden age undercounted manufacturing's vast presence in the U.S. economy. Undetected by the federal government's statistical radar, legions of brokers and dealers moved the manufacturing process along, arranging to get raw materials to factories, semi-finished products to the next stage of production, and finished products to warehouses, showrooms, and stores. Those middlemen included people like my father, who in the early and mid-20th century acted as brokers or sales agents for the numerous textile manufacturers in the United States, finding buyers for the millions of yards of newly woven cloth then flowing from their factories. 
The buyers were other manufacturers, also still located in the United States, who dyed the cloth, or cut and sewed it once it was dyed, into sheets, or aprons, or dish towels, or tablecloths, or shirts, or socks, or summerweight pants, or curtains, or the numerous other products that were made from cotton in the years before rayon, nylon, and other synthetics were widely adopted. For all the flow from one factory to the next, however, the factory owners rarely orchestrated this process themselves. They outsourced that function to brokers such as my father, who collected commissions on each interfactory transaction. Yet, the brokers' often middle-class incomes for performing this essential function were not usually counted in government data as manufacturing income.